0: Hi everyone, welcome to another Rahalastaba this week with American comedian Brian Regan. Really funny guy and this is an interesting podcast with him. Check out all of his specials uh, on Netflix and a sketch show he's got there as well. Lots of really funny stuff. I'm feeling a lot better, uh, ever getting better and uh, ready to return to all my usual shenanigans ASAP. Uh, if you want to help support us, you know there's all the usual ways. You could go to GoFasterstripe.com and buy my book, The Problem with Men. Uh, you get a signed book plate with a cock drawn on it, a bit like this. This is one that I've not that well I wasn't good enough. It'd be better than that. You can also buy uh, emergency questions um, there as well. Uh, fantastic way to start conversations you can get those at all your favorite bookshops and outlets that are available on ebooks and uh, the problem with men is also an excellent audiobook wherever you get your audiobooks that i basically see as my 2020 stand-up show so i hope you will enjoy that as it is let's just sit back relax and enjoy another raha lustapa with me richard herring as the host and my guest brian Regan. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome man. He's had the vaccine and is licking everything. It's Richard Herring! Hello! I've had the vaccine. Welcome to Richard Herring's Lopsided Scrotum, scrotum Totally podcast. Uh, though I was hanging out with old Jeremy Paxman the other week. Pac-a-lack-a-dack-dack. Dak. Pacontis. Pac-Man, they call him. The Pac-Man. He calls it Ralistopus, so I don't know if that's gonna catch on. Uh it's um uh, more news on my uh medical dramas um i've had my vaccine yeah bad luck people who didn't have cancer you have to wait yes having testicular cancer is the best thing that's ever happened to me jumped at the front of the queue saw me straight away uh i am uh i'm fine it's all out they, it's, they've, they've had a look at what came out and it's all in there uh but uh, i am going to be uh I'm a cancer survivor, which is true of anyone who's had cancer and is still alive. Uh, I don't. I feel a bit of a fraud because I've not been ill, and uh, this is this is a this is a not a real cancer, testicular cancer. They they could just cure it. That's not cancer, is it? You're not, you're not. You shouldn't be able to cure cancer anyway. I'm going to be having a some precautionary chemotherapy over the next uh, two or three weeks. Just one, and again, it's playtime. It's like being on the holodeck of the Starship Enterprise and going, I want to play at having cancer. You don't even lose your hair or anything. It's just one go and you might be a bit lethargic. So um, it's all going pretty well. And uh, I've 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 had a long-term ambition and fantasy fulfilled this week in that uh, the Daily Mail newspaper uh, has written about my bollocks um, there it is. Yeah, that's the uh, the. Uh, how lucky was I to get the one that's basically curable? Comedian Richard Turing, fifty three. It's important, you know, my real. is Blah blah blah. Um, uh, it's a horrible paper, the Daily Mail. But uh, and all they've done is found my blog and basically copied it out. So I, even though it says it's by Clara Farmer, uh, I, I basically uh, wrote this. Um, would have been front page news, but for Meghan Markle, that's another thing that she's to blame for. I could have been on the front page of the Daily Mail. Uh, it's a nasty paper. I, I praise the NHS uh, in my blog, and uh, the mail says, Herring gushed about how great the NHS was. Yeah, those bastards. How could I gush gush about them saving my life? And uh, fucking butt. And uh, they left in the joke about the Ferrero Rocher. I, I compared my testicle to a Ferrero Rocher and that the cancer was in the middle like a nut uh, and then i said i wasn't going to build a pyramid like i promised my wife which was a joke for people who read my blog you know that sort of long term ambition of mine i think the daily mail readers would have been confused i think they'd have been confused about who i was but thank you for choosing pictures that make me look hideously unwell <laughs> and unhealthy it's nothing to do with being unhealthy i've discovered it's been it's it's been in there all the time waiting to come out possibly since i was in the womb it's just been waiting, ready to grab me. Uh, but anyway, I'm good. I'm fine. And um, it's all looking fine. So we're going to crack on with the podcast. Uh, I'm enjoying telling a lot of strangers in America about my testicles as the first thing that I ever say to <laughs> them. Uh, and uh, this is no different today. My um, guest this week is probably best known as Weeb Lunk from the Looney Tunes <laughs> show. That's why we're all watching today, and that's all we're going to talk about. Will you please welcome Brian Reagan, ladies hey, and gentlemen. I'm doing, doing great. How are you? Good. Yeah, I mean, apart from having one less testicle than I'm meant to have, Brian, I'm good. I just, I just had a Hello. testicle
1: added. I, Yes. Uh, we, I, it's a voluntary procedure. I, I started with yeah. two. Now I have three.
0: Well, that's good. So, on average, we're, we're well, still, we, we're we hang out
1: together. We average two testicles each.
0: <laughs> that's very good. Um, but no, I am good. good I'm really good. good. I'm feeling well. And I'm very, and I'm sort of happy because, you know, having a scary thing like this happen to you makes you sort of appreciate what's of good course. in life, right? It's the, it's, and suddenly I was walking to the, uh, the doctors to pick up some i needed some cream for my i've got i got i was been wearing a jock strap which i've never worn before and it had got chafed and a fungal infection and as i was walking to the doctors to pick that up the first time i've been out of the house for 2 weeks i've honestly felt like i was on drugs just walking down the road and being alive <laughs> so you know it's amazing where you can have epiphanies well, isn't it as Good you go for you get, man i'm sure that's a big it, big thing to
1: you. uh be able to get past a <laughs> difficult situation so i'm happy for you
0: we hope so. Good. Thank you very much. Do you remember much about being <laughs> Wee Blunk in the Looney Tunes show? I mean, I could have accidentally picked up something that's, that was huge in your career. Um, really.
1: It's the, uh, oh man, the Looney Tunes cartoon. I had an opportunity to play a one-off character in one episode, Wee Blunk. I wouldn't even have known the okay. my name, my character's name, <laughs> unless you had said it. And, uh... I did it a long time ago, and I, I I haven't I have not had a single person come up to me who has recognized my voice on that on that episode, but I keep getting checks for re-airings of it. The checks get the checks were never big big to begin with, and and now yeah. they're down at the four cent level, you know. And,
0: yeah i i've had four pence checks i've had four pence checks for work in the nineteen nineties and my agent who's meant to take twenty percent has still taken one <laughs> pence of the four pence which is twenty five percent and i'm quite cross about the, the i mean the the admin in taking the one p is it costs more than one p right that- it must the time taken for them to take their one pence off yes. From well, I, actually, I took a poor photo rent.
1: one time of one of these uh, residual checks I got and the stamp, I put the check next to the stamp. The stamp is like 55 cents and then the check is for like six cents. <laughs> and it's like there's something completely <laughs> wrong about this whole formula of spending more money to send out money. It's just crazy.
0: Yeah, it is, but – well, you know, some occasionally one of those checks is, is worth having, but uh, not not so much uh, for my career, where hardly anything's ever been repeated. Um, hey, look, it's really great to meet you, and thanks hey. so much for doing this. I, I'm sure this is mutual, but I didn't have a very much idea of who you were before. That's fine. Um, and I'm sure that's tr- the case for me as well. But I've caught up on all your stuff, and I have seen little bits of you before uh and it's had so much on i watched your latest special uh which is called on the yes. rocks i believe um uh, uh two days after my surgery which was a a mistake because you were too funny <laughs> and every time i laughed it really hurt but i carried on watching so it was just that if you've had surgery don't watch this show because it's you get to the, it's, it's one of those sort of rolling shows and I, it's very rare in comedy. I find this, and especially as a comedian, watching other comedians where I think for the last 15 minutes, I was just laughing. I got on one of those roles where you're just laughing at, at everything, especially when you're not in the, in the actual audience, when you're watching something on TV, it's very hard to get into that, but just everything got me. And, and, and it was just, I was in this sort of cycle of pain and laughter. <laughs> it's Thank a brilliant show. Much. Um, and, uh, you know i know that you've been doing stand up for 40 years right which seems kind right, of impossible right.
1: I, I i i hate saying what eight, what year it was when i started you know people go where 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 are you from did you come on a time machine or something i started in 1980 <laughs> yeah. 81 and uh you know been at it a while and you know uh, i'm fortunate to be able to do this for 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 a job and I'm honoured that you liked the special. Thank
0: you. Oh, it's, very, it's very good. I'd highly recommend it. We'll talk about it uh, more later. But it's, um, I don't know. I think it's that you've you've sort of uh, concentrated on stand-up throughout your career, which isn't what all stand-ups do. I know you have done some acting and you've done, the, obviously, the Looney <laughs> yeah. Tunes. Uh, right. <laughs> <work>. <laughs> and you've done some TV. You've done some bits pieces of TV. But you've been there through. And I kind of find that interesting. I started 10 years after you, so I've been going since about 19... 19- Eighty-nine, And I feel like that's a long time. And I think, uh, although I think the extremes are, are greater for you in that you're now playing to sort of thousands of people when you when you perform in America. Um, but it's kind of satisfying, right, to build up a career over that length of time and learn and and I'm guessing building an audience from yeah. those, those early days that, that you've done just through doing I'm, the work. I'm
1: very fortunate. I have friends who have gotten sitcoms, and they've blown up, you know, and and become big names and that sort of thing. And uh, I'm happy for all of them. I truly am. And I've developed this little niche, or niche, I should probably learn what the word is before I try to use it, uh, where if anybody knows me, they know me from stand-up comedy, because it would be impossible to know me from anything else unless they've seen the looney tunes episode. <laughs> and so it's very gratifying to go to a venue to perform and I have a, you know, people coming into the audience and sitting in the seats. I love the murmur of the crowd before the show starts. And to know, well they they have to be here because they like my stand up because they wouldn't know me for any other reason. So it's pretty cool. <laughs>
0: But I also heard you saying that uh on one, another podcast that you can do a show to 5000 people and then go pick up a burger half a mile away and nobody's yes. in the burger place going hey Brian. So no, it, like you've got this massive fan base and yet you still have relative sort of anonymity compared to maybe some some of those people who would if someone if Seinfeld walked into Burger King then he wouldn't be able to Correct. order a burger but you can you can walk into a, into a into a restaurant and and get treated like a regular guy it's, is, is how it sounds It's, is that yes, still the case? it's
1: fascinating to me it, it, it really is this weird level where i'm at like i have enough of a following where i can play you know venues around the country and a little bit internationally and uh, you know i can bring out a pretty sizable audience yet the story is true. The one time I literally finished my show, went about a half mile down the road to a burger place and I'm standing in line and I'm like, there were 2000 people in that theater right down the road. And here, nobody knows who I am. And, uh, and I like it. I, I, I really do. I like to have the best of both worlds. You know, it's like um, I've got no complaints.
0: Well, one of the shows, it may have been your um your stand the stand up and sketch show you did for Netflix. You, you started by saying, "I do not want to be famous." That was that sort of the <laughs> opening <Right. laughs> opening line, which you know uh, is I mean, but that it's possible. It's sort of interesting fame because if you you sort of have to to become famous, you really have to try to become famous. Generally, really, and it's interesting that you can be successful without being famous, but also that that isn't your driving force You seem to be your driving force seems to be Correct. the comedy and and you seem to be someone who uh, thinks deeply about it and um and, and about the process of of comedy um i mean i think observational comedy it's not something i'm good at doing in my stand-up uh and it's not really what i do but I, it feels to me one of the hardest c- comedy areas to write in and you've and i've seen a quote of you saying it's like going down a mine and thinking we've got all this (laughs) stuff out already we've got everything (laughs) we've got everything out but you managed it but it's sort of interesting that the process of finding something new in a subject that people have done before or not in a subject how easy do you find that how long does it take you to to be coming up because the observations are are great and 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 you know and and I suppose the, the skill of observation comedy for me is to even if you're doing something that's been talked about a lot is finding a new angle and I think another thing you're great at is just choosing the right words and the right language I started writing things down there's just a bit where I can't even remember which routine it is where you said where you just meant you just go it's a tip of the hat and it's just the perfect <laughs> thing to say. it's just the perfect thing to say and it's you know it's, it's it's very well judged but how easy do you find that to is that just something that's that you get one of those a month or are you, are you, are you, are you overwhelmed with observations? <laughs> That's it. You go about your daily That's life. part of
1: what is fascinating to me about stand-up comedy is that I don't know how it works. I, I, I don't know where ideas come from. Um, I just feel like occasionally you see something that maybe you've looked at many times in your life or you have an experience that you've, had many times in your life, but every once in a while, your brain will see it in a, in an unusual way where you'll go, Hey, wait a second. Um, there's something funny there. And then I'll write that down or I'll take my, take out my iPhone and put it in the little iPhone app. And then once you have the idea, then you can put scaffolding around it and come up with words and come up with the beginning, middle and an end and a version that you can try on stage. But the original, um, uh, thought it's fascinating to me i've always wondered like yeah music does music exist in the world and then it's up to somebody to find that song or does the individual brain come up with the song i feel the same way about comedy are the jokes out there and it's just up to somebody to have the right antenna to pick it up or does the brain create the joke and uh it's it's fun not knowing the answer to that
0: yeah, I mean, it does feel that's how I feel. I come up with about one one liner a year. I don't do many one liners, a... and, and it feels, but you know, even when, when you're really in that zone, and I, I improvise a lot on stage when I'm coming up with a new show, and then it becomes a sort of script, but I'll still mess around with it. But when you're in that white hot zone, it feels like it's being projected right. in from somewhere, you know, you're surprised yeah, yeah, by yeah. yourself, right? So it is, it is, it is, I find it fascinating, but um. But, yeah, I mean, I think that's it. I think there's a lot of bad observational comedians. And it's possible to make a living as a bad observational comedian because, you know, if, if people haven't seen that much comedy, they'll they'll go, oh, this is good. But, you know, you'll have seen it before. But I think, um, you know, with your stuff, it's – I really like the, the bit that really got me, and then I was really sort of on a roll uh, at this point, was the bit about um, – uh, people being executed at seven o'clock in the morning and how unfair that was. Just sort of when you start thinking about, it. i would never thought about that, but the idea of that, the guy being having to either go to sleep or not go to sleep, when you start thinking about that, yeah, it's, a funny, wreck.
1: it's a very cruel yeah. time of the day. The guy supposed to go to sleep the night before and, and go, yeah, it's just such a good rack. idea. <laughs> yeah, got a short day tomorrow. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but imagine if you thought you'd try and stay away. It's just like the idea of just fought that. It's, <laughs> it's very good. It's very nice. Um, so you, you, but you, you did obviously start very young cause there's no way you could be, uh, been over for 40 years, 41 years, uh, and, uh, not start young. So you basically started at, at college and, uh, you said to Seinfeld in the, um, comedians in cars that you you got into it because you didn't like you didn't want to get up in the in the morning and you realized comedians didn't yeah. have to didn't have
1: to well, get up is that is that a, is that a joke or is that a Well, joke? it's I mean, part it's I mean, of it. I mean, that wasn't the only reason yeah. that I did stand-up comedy, but it was a factor. <laughs> when I was in college, my nickname in college was Rip for Rip Van Winkle because I was always <laughs> asleep. People would see me running across campus to get to dinner before the cafeteria closed for dinner. And that's not an exaggeration. Like I would sleep all day. I had no money and I'm like, oh, I gotta eat. And I would I, I would run to get there before 6 p.m. or whenever it closed. So my nickname was Rip for Rip Van Winkle. And I remember I had a class, a psychology class that started at seven o'clock in the morning. And at that time of the year, like I only went to it once, I woke up, it was dark. And I remember walking through campus, I'm like, it's dark. Like, the sun's not even up. And he walked to this building and uh, there's a teacher in there and there's other students. And I was like, I can't possibly do this every day of my life. I just, I can't. (laughs) So I, I started thinking I need to do something where I can do the kind of sleeping that I love. And then a comedian performed at my College, and the show started at eight p.m. And I remember thinking, "Hey, I think I might be able to get up by this time. <laughs> I think I could do this." <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think, but see, in the eighties in the UK, the comedy scene was uh, very different than it is now, and was and there was a lot of people who just liked spending all day, you know, all night getting drunk or getting off their t- tits on, on drugs. And then doing their fifteen minutes, it doesn't feel like that's how you've worked as a comedian. It feels to me, from reading what I've read, that you uh, even very early on you were pretty committed to the hard work and getting into it. So you you still saw it as a it wasn't like a DOS, which I think in the eighties in the UK, I think a lot of comedians just thinking this is I work for fifteen minutes and I can go and do anything I like all day. It feels like you were working hard. I read something about you taking the post headline slot at the comedy night every at the local club every night so that you could just get stage time even though people were walking out as you were performing and that's sort of how you learned my uh
1: the club where i started the comedy club where i started uh open mic night was only on mondays but when you passed then you could go on every night seven nights a week and so when I, i i auditioned five times i finally passed the guy, Joe Mullen, who ran the place. I just saw him like three weeks ago. I hadn't seen him in many, many years. He's the guy who gave me my start in comedy. I have such a fond feeling for this man who – he was the first guy who said I was a comedian. Anyway, when he passed me and he said, all right, now you can go on on nights other than Monday. And I said, I don't want to abuse the privilege – can I go on seven nights a week? And he said, I've never had anybody ask me that question. He goes, if you want to go on seven nights a week, you're more than welcome to. But it was when you started at the club where I started, they did it unlike any other club since um, they had three co-headliners. They all did 45 minutes, which in itself is like, can you imagine having to follow two other headliners who just did 45 minutes? And then they had the local comedians. I was one of them go on after them. And the Joe Mullen, the guy who I was just mentioning, wanted the MC to go up and draw a clear line in the sand. He wanted the MC to say after the three headliners to the audience, well, that's it for our show. Meaning the good stuff is over. That's it for our show. (laughs) We do have some local comedians who are just getting started. They're going to come up into a few minutes each. If you want to hang around and give them an audience, you're more than welcome. But if you need to go, we thank you very much for coming. So 75, 75% of the people would get up and leave. But then you'd have some people that would go, all right, let's hang around and watch these guys. And that was the atmosphere that I dealt with for about a year. I went on every night, and I developed this whole routine about people walking out during my show. It was a very self-deprecating kind of thing. <laughs>
0: Sure, but I think you know. Again, I've experienced not exactly that. I mean, that sounds so bizarre to to not put in the you know in the, in the UK clubs, and I'm sure most of the American clubs, they'll stick uh, the open spot on somewhere in the middle, so, so that there's a chance to, if they if they fail, there's a chance to rescue them. Right? Um, but uh, you know, having having played to those sort of small audiences and audiences that don't know you and aren't interested in you and then to go over several decades to get to the point where you are I mean I've I've seen you talk about this and, I, and I've don't I haven't played uh, over a thousand people many times but you but you talk about sort of almost like being a conductor you know you the, the audience are your instrument but once you've played the, you can play a small crowd is it for me i find that the the big crowds are sort of they're different but it's sort of much easier sure <laughs> you're getting you you're getting the last but it, it's you enjoy you enjoy that process of, uh, you know that I mean it's that being the conductor and being a conductor of laughter and and knowing how the audience are going to respond as a as an organism really rather than as individuals I suppose when you get to that size. Of well, one. even
1: a small audience, uh, yeah. I've I've always felt that what I what I'm trying to do on stage is make that audience one thing. I want them to become one thing, even though they might not realize that. They're just part of this thing. They think they're individuals. But from my perspective, I'm trying to make them one unit. And then I'm just trying to get that unit, that thing, to laugh. And so, like, I analogize it to playing an instrument. Like, the audience is this big instrument, and I'm trying to get as much noise out of it as I can. The music to me is the laughs, right? So, um, of course, there are individuals in there, You know, but I try not to think about that. I try to think of, I'm just trying to play this, whatever. It could be 50 people. It could be 2,000 people, whatever it is. I'm just trying to get this thing laughing. And it's, uh, I I love the quest of it. And I'm also interested that the people in the audience don't realize how much they are influenced by the people around them. Everybody thinks they're deciding for themselves whether you're funny or not. But they have no idea how much the psychological influence is having a, a room full of people around you laughing. If people are around you are laughing, you're going to be more inclined to laugh. If people around you are not laughing, you're going to be much more inclined to go, hmm, maybe this guy's not that funny. Um, so you got to make them one and make that one thing laugh.
0: Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's so. It shouldn't be remarkable as a comedian, but it sort of is what makes you remarkable is that the shows, that it, everything is sort of trying to make you laugh. And I suppose the modern, and I, you know, and I do this a little bit in my shows as well sometimes, the modern kind of special shows are often have a little bit more of a, a serious tone to them, or there'll be a bit that gets serious, or they'll be trying to make some intelligent. Point and uh, overarching the whole thing. Whereas, uh, and I'm, your, your comedy is very clever and I'm really not saying anything about that. But your goal is to have the audience laughing all the way through to get to that state that I got into in, in bed of just not being able to stop laughing. And that's that's sort of weird that that's a rarity, isn't it? Well,
1: is that- you know, no, I I, I think <laughs> everybody should do whatever they want as a performer. And if somebody wants sure to be more of a humorist and have a lot of serious messages within what they're saying. That's fine. You know, I, I I think everybody and anybody should do whatever they want. My, I, I, I like the laughs per second philosophy. (laughs) You know, um, I, I remember listening. There's a comedian. I'm not going to say his name, but he tells story. Oh, I got to turn this off. Uh, sorry, um, ah, uh, boy, hang on. Sorry, <laughs> I don't know how to stop my phone. It's okay. Uh, I did everything but turn off the phone. All right, sorry about that. Um, so it's okay. The uh, he he tells these long stories. He's like a southern comedian, southern drawl, and that sort of thing. And there's a big punchline like at the five minute mark. But leading up to it, it's all set up, you know, and it's like there's this truck driving down a road and a smoke billowing behind a truck and, and go on and on and on and on and on. And then he tells the punchline five minutes later and it's a huge laugh. And I remember being fascinated by, well, that's a way to do it. That's a way to do it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I like there to be yeah. some la- laughs along the way.
0: Yeah, I, you know, it's, I'm, I'm I mean, I'm this side I do like all kinds of comedy, and I like the, you know, I don't think I could do what you do, uh, but I still like what you do. It wouldn't be what it w- wouldn't be where I'd go just because I couldn't do it. I don't think, but as an audience member, I think it, there's something very, I guess, because I was just you know in a weird position when I was uh, watching it as well. But it's sort of very therapeutic just to, you know, get get yourself into a ten to fifteen minute, even thirty minute period where you're just doing nothing but laughing. <laughs> it's it's they say it's the best medicine and they they may be they may be right about that um we did ma- i did mention the jerry seinfeld uh, thing and obviously uh, jerry's been a big supporter of yours and you've been on i i've i've obviously seen you before because i've watched all of comedians and cars getting coffee a couple of times and um i find it quite a fascinating show you've been on it twice um and it's quite interesting to see because jerry's obviously sort of the king of that sort of style of well, almost the king of comedy of his generation and so even quite big name people on there can get quite quite intimidated by him or just asking him for advice on how to do comedy and it's fascinating to watch how the comedian as, as much as the show's very funny and he's very funny and the cars are okay, I suppose. <laughs> um, the coffee's nice, um, you know. They're very important. It's, it's interesting to see. How big... <laughs> it's just you know, like I saw the one with him in, just yesterday when I was watching your two. I watched the one with Jerry Lewis, and that's the only one that Seinfeld's really oh, in awe oh, of, yeah. it, of the guest, you know. Uh, but some of them. Are, but what was interesting about you is it? It felt like you've been, you've done it twice, which is obviously. A big compliment because not many people have done it twice. If, you know, maybe one or two people have done it twice. Um, But it's very much two people just riffing off each other. And it do- it doesn't feel like you're uh intimidated or like beholden to him because it's Jerry Seinfeld. Did you, did you work with him on the way up or how did you, how did you uh, get to no, know him? The,
1: uh, hang on one second. I want to try. I-, I apologize. I'm trying to get this phone turned off. Jess. It's okay. So, uh, Thank you. She's crawling underneath to unplug the telephone. That's the magic of show business is that nobody saw her do that. Thank you, Jess. Um, All right. Well, Jerry Seinfeld was a god amongst comedians, even before his hit TV sitcom. You know, he was like, in fact, I followed him as an auditioner. Years ago, at the club where I started, he was one of he was one of the three headliners, and he had not even done his first national TV appearance yet. So anyway, uh, I met him at Catch a Rising Star, big comedy club in New York City. I was performing there, and he was at a level where he could just come in and be next. You know, that's like a a level you want to get to where you just walk in. You're not on the schedule. You just walk in, and they go, "You want to go on next?" and And you say, yes, or that's what he would say. Anyway, so I was on stage at catch and he came in while I was on stage and he was a big name in comedy. And I walked off stage and he was getting ready to come on. And he just gave me some very nice compliments about what he had just seen. And it it makes you feel like a million bucks when somebody that you idolize says good things about you. And so that was it. And then like, a couple of weeks later I went into Catch a Rising Star and he was seated at the bar with some other big name and like the bar, you wouldn't even dare go over there when you were at my level. You know what I mean? And he called me over. He said, Hey Brian. And I, my heart's pounding and I walk over and he said, uh, Hey, I was just asked to host a comedy special for Showtime. And uh, so there's going to be like five or six comedians on it. And they asked if there was anybody that I would like on it. This is him talking. And he said, mm-hmm. and I threw your name into that. Would you be interested in doing the special? You know, I, I, like, like, like I'm, I'm trying to get on at one o'clock in the morning at these places, you know, and I was like, so I made a joke. You know, I was like, I wish you had checked with me. It isn't like I don't have stuff already booked, you know, like... <laughs> like a daring joke. Like, I hope he gets it. And then he laughed at that. And I was like, of course I'd be honored to. So I was on that special that he hosted. And then ever since then, you know, he's been kind to me, you know, he's seen me and has supported me and uh, it has been a lot to me.
0: That's good. Well, it's clear, you know, it's clear that he respects you uh, for just from watching those shows, just, not that he—he he obviously has people that he thinks are good, but but it's it's sort of fascinating to see the different the different reactions he has to different comedians. But but he's also sort of back to and back been involved in the uh, Netflix stuff you've been doing, so the specials and the the stand up and sketch show, which are uh, I, I really enjoyed as well. That you uh, that uh, there's a there's four. Whether, the great thing about Netflix is you know when it goes all over the world, so that uh, you know that. People can find you on there, and and uh, and if they if they're not if they if they you know if they if they people have not seen your stuff before, you can basically see lots
1: of your things. I lo- I, love I, the, I just wanted um, to, to jump in there, if you don't mind. My- the one reason why I yeah, think yeah. comedians in cars getting coffee work so well is because everybody knows Jerry Seinfeld is funny, and that he can be funny, and that he makes people laugh. But what makes that show work so well is that he's a great audience. He laughs like crazy when somebody's funny. Like he doesn't have the kind of ego where he has to be the top dog when funny stuff is going back and forth. If you say something funny, he'll laugh instead of feeling like he has to one up you. And that's part of why I think that show is so fun to watch. Is not only is he funny, you get to watch him laugh at other people, you know.
0: Yeah. And I guess that's I think that's why re- the ones with you really work, because I think you're both you've both got the same work ethic and the same interest in the way comedy works. And so there's a big element where it's he's coming in with something he's half right. thought of or something's <laughs> right. just occurred to him. And it really works when you just start when people start ripping yeah. off an idea and building on it. And that's the, And yeah, you can see that he loves that but uh, i think that's why that's why he's had you back and that's why he loves having you on because you've got a very good chemistry in terms of uh, building wow. building on an idea um now um hey look i'll i cuz there's there's not too much time to talk about everything so i would i i had not heard of this show either and uh i've watched a lot of the first se- season as a result of this morning because i got really into it but uh, louder milk you're a, you're a character recurring character in uh, Milk, which is a um yeah i think it but even the uh, the creators sort of acknowledge it didn't really get uh, noticed by anyone it might be a sort of shit's creak in the making i think and that it's a really good premise and a really good central character uh, of a guy who's ex music journalist who's runs an alcoholics yeah. anonymous meeting um but it's very sharp and very clever i think and and really funny and you're a, you're one of the guys I'm in the, that group. the the meeting who has who has eight kids and doesn't. <laughs> doesn't <see it.
1: laughs> yeah. I mean, it's sort of tragic, but right, it's funny. Right, right, right. Uh, my character yeah. is Muggsy. Peter Farrelly is yeah. he and Bobby Mort created the show. Peter Farrelly, who won uh, what they got Best Picture for uh, the Green Book a couple of years ago, and uh, sure. I'm just honored to be in this thing because I've done stand up my whole life. That's kind of all I do. And then Peter Farrelly saw me perform, and then after the show, he said, "Hey, he's working on this show called Louder Milk, and wanted to know if I'd be interested in being in it." And maybe I'm more honest than I should be. You know, I should have just said, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, I don't know if I can act." You know, like I'm I'm already undercutting this opportunity. Um, I said, I, "I appreciate it, but I I don't know if I have any acting abilities or acting chops." You know, and he said. Uh, he goes, well, I know you can act. And I'm like, what makes you think that? He goes, I just saw your show. I just saw your stand-up show. He goes, you do vignettes. You do little pieces. He goes, everything you're doing is you're acting out. You, you, he goes, I so I know you know how to act. You just need somebody who can direct you. And uh, he said, I'd love to, you know, if you'd want to be in this show. So he just gave me this character. You know, like I didn't even audition for it. I just gave it to me. I mean if I had to audition for it, I probably wouldn't be in the show. You know what I mean? Cause I don't think I've ever gotten anything out of an audition. So he just gave me this character and, uh, I've had a blast with it, man. The show is very dark and very twisted. It's very funny, but it's very earthy and gritty. And, uh, and it's different than my standup, you know, my standup, you know, a lot of people describe it as clean. I hate that title, but, uh, the show is far from clean. My character is far yeah. from clean. So it's such a departure from what I do as a standup, but it has given me this opportunity to act and I've loved it. And uh, we just found out that it's getting picked up by Amazon prime starting Friday, like a couple nights from now. And uh, they're going to release the first two seasons and then season three, which has been shot, which no one has seen yet will be released 30, 30- days after that so uh i'm proud to be in it
0: fabulous it's very it's really good it's uh in the uk uh, at least the first series i think both and the, the second oh, season as are okay. already on amazon prime so people in the uk can uh, catch up with it straight away but hopefully series season three will come as well and you've got a you've got quite a big part in the it's the, the, the third season sort of revolves around your character to quite a large degree because it uh, it sort of tends to Matt. I didn't know Matt. I know Matt Fraser from years ago. He's a, he's a English uh, comedian, uh, and uh, I was yeah, so glad to see him in. He's great as well. But but um, yeah, but um, yeah. So you, you've you've got you, you're trying to reconnect with your eight children through through season three. Is I'm that trying different? to reconnect with all my
1: kids all the time. But there's one character yeah. in particular, Cappy. that's she's my daughter. Uh, My daughter's names are named after coffees. I have a daughter, Latte, and a daughter, Cappy, short for cappuccino. So there's this uh, long story arc where I'm trying to reconnect with Cappy in season three. And uh, it's funny, but it also gets really, really serious. And there's a lot of... When I was reading the scripts, I felt like calling Peter Fairley up and going, I don't know who you think I am. (laughs) <laughs> but I, I don't know if I'm going to be able to accomplish anything that you want out of this. You know, it's a very deep, like, emotional stuff that I have to try to do as an actor. And um, wow. I'd never done anything like that. And I just am honoured that he gave me the opportunity. And I, I think, I hope people will like it.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think comedians often do make good actors, but it's I'm really surprised that that's your... From watching it, I'm surprised that's your first major thing because you know you're just straight in there. There's no sometimes, sometimes stand ups can you know not do the group thing, and sometimes stand ups are still you know they're on TV. They're almost still trying to find the camera or just the uh, letting the real them glint outside. But I think you've really thank you. You really nail it. It's a it's a it's a it's a fact. Is I've if you haven't seen it, I've absolutely. I'm going to be watching it for the. From my convalescent bed for the rest of the next couple of weeks. Thank you. Um, I'm gonna ask you some I'm gonna ask some emergency questions. Here's a new emergency question that I'm just working up. If you had to lose a one part of your body, if it had to be taken off, it has to be um you get the choice, but they say we're gonna take one part of your body weight, has to be something functioning, you can't choose the appendix. If it's if there's more than two of them they they're all gonna get, you can't go i'm gonna have a finger taken off that's all your fingers you can't say I'm gonna have a tooth taken off all your teeth. if there's two you're allowed to lose one of them i love the
1: qualifiers which, in the question no
0: append yeah because you'll right. just go i'll have a tooth out you like, all your teeth all your fingers all your toes or one of your organs which part of the body would you have removed for if you to save the rest of you if that was the Sort of oh like my premise.
1: gosh! Uh, yeah, uh, I love to listen. So I want my ears. Am I allowed to think this through, like, uh, like the game shows you are, where they yeah, want you to? Definitely think it through. Um, <laughs> definitely
0: think it through and give your working and your reasoning. You could lose one ear and still be able to listen to things. No, like I understand.
1: You, know, the, you you'd probably want me to lose yeah. both ears as part of this uh,
0: no, you can lose one. So if there's oh, two, of them, you can lose oh, one of them. If there's more than two, oh. you lose all of them. So you can lose one ear. I would see. I would see, if I would still. Choo- I would choose to lose a testicle. Uh, now I've lost one. It's not. If I stabbed them both, I think it's the the least important part of the. That's that's an easy. I I
1: should have said that right off the bat to 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 make <laughs> you feel very comfortable about what has happened. Me In better. fact, that's probably a good answer. Yeah, I'll say. I'll say one testicle. These are
0: good. I think it's, I think it's the best. Okay, I think it's the best answer because everything, a kidney you can lose one kidney, I think, and that would be okay. But then it's going in, you know, they're yeah. digging in you with a testicle, you know, they just wow. lop it off.
1: All right, that's my that's my emergency answer to your you emergency question. Okay, that's good. That's a good answer.
0: I'll ask you another emergency question. Have you ever seen a ghost, Brian Regan? No.
1: No, I. Uh... No. I, I knew it would be nice. I, uh, they say every theater has a ghost. Are you familiar with a ghost light? Yeah. So on stage at every major theater around the country, they have a light that they leave on um, all night long. And that is, I don't know, to placate the ghost of the theater they, or whatever. But I, I've never seen one. I don't subscribe to the fact that there are ghosts out there. If I have seen them, I don't know about it. I apparently have looked right through them. Okay.
0: Uh, it's basically, that's my question. It's just a polite way of asking, are you mentally ill? And you've passed <laughs> the test, you're
1: not mentally ill. I have not seen a ghost.
0: Well, done, But, I, but, but I, I've seen Bigfoot uh, you, and
1: I've seen... Uh, yeah, that's one of my I've questions. Bigfoot, have you seen Bigfoot, I've one seen of my the questions. abominable snowman and I've seen the Loch Ness <laughs> Monster, but I've never seen a ghost.
0: Wow. If only I'd asked the Bigfoot question, but I didn't, so we won't go any further into it. Um, and if you, this is another new, newer emergency question. If you could have uh, any, if they're, all the world's music, museums and art galleries got together and said, Brian, we want to give you one painting or one artifact or one thing, uh, you can keep it. What thing from all the world's museums and art galleries would you choose to own? Is there something would you would like? I
1: probably want one of those uh, Monet lily pad kind of things. Oh. I, I I don't even know the title of a particular painting, but um, they're just very soothing, very soothing and calm, and it brings a sense of serenity that uh, is very enjoyable.
0: That's a good answer. I also like the idea of the person giving that painting going, Yo, so you know, so you don't know what it's called. <laughs> And you just you just want one of the and
1: he's having to give it over it's worth it. Yeah, I got it under my arm as I'm walking out. And no one's gonna ask any questions. And i go, Thanks said I could any have of those. It. Get out of my way.
0: Very good. Um, uh, um So what was the decision? I mean, I know you say you don't like being described as the the comedian doesn't swear and doesn't do blue stuff. Was that a decision you made or was it it just felt natural? I mean, it's a good thing. It's a good discipline to, I mean, I really couldn't work like that um, for me. (laughs) I don't think I could do a set that didn't have something rude in it. But was that a deliberate decision or because it's a good idea. Or is it just the way I was always going? mostly
1: clean anyway? Even when I started, I, just the kind of stuff I think about is not—it doesn't go in those directions. Um, it's not a value thing, you know. I, I'm not riding around on a white horse going, uh, "This is the clean way and follow me." You know, it's like if I were on a white horse, I go, "Let's go see the filthiest comic in the world because I think he's great as well." You know, um, but I just. When I first started, I 5% of my act was dirty. You know, I, I had four-letter word jokes and a couple of sex jokes and that sort of thing. But they never felt natural to me. Like, I felt like I was shoehorning them in. Uh, and so after a while, the special that just came out, I refer to my OCD. I wanted yeah. to be completely clean just because I wanted it to be 100% at something. It, it had nothing to do with... I want to be Johnny wholesome. I'm like, well, I I never got a hundred percent on any test in grade school or high school, but I can be a hundred percent clean. I I can accomplish this. (laughs) And so it was more of a quest. It was a personal quest to try to see how hard I could get people laughing without hitting certain buzzwords.
0: Yeah. And it's not like, I mean, it's, it's, it's not like your comedy isn't... There's some darkness in it. I mean, that serial... The, the thing about the, the, the executions is pretty dark. Uh, there's the thing you do in uh, the sketch show with... Uh, uh, we call it Dragon's Den over there. I can't remember what you call it over there, but with the, the businessman trying to buy the inventions yeah. off the... People and you imagine like the weight right, the waste right, disposal right, right. unit being being pitched pitch to that, and just people getting his blood everywhere. Going, we're not going to fight it. Um, so there's there's a there's a darkness to it. You don't have to be rude to to challenge people, but um, yeah, I I would just I I suppose I I love the sort of poetry of the gutter and the poetry the the interesting ways of finding. Uh, to talk about disgusting things, and it strikes me that your stuff the the I love the words and I love the choice of words and the choice of language in it. And you really feel like somebody who loves language, it just I i would feel personally, and I think it does work for you, that you're you're kind of corralling off a, a section of language which you could be imaginative with in the same way that you are with regular language, right. but uh, I, I get yeah, I get the I get it though, but I, I think it's um no it's it's really interesting to see to see it work and not be and not be like a kid's time committee you know you well, that's, that, that's part
1: of the challenge but, for uh, me is like uh, that's why I don't use the word clean in any of my press materials you know I, I can't help if a writer is going to comment about it uh but I feel it it's as much of a turn off as it is a turn on like I would like to think if there was somebody out there who saw an ad that said, hey, clean," the clean comedian Brian Regan is coming to town, they might go, I don't want to go see this candy-ass guy. I, I have no interest in that. Whereas if they didn't see clean and came out to see me, I would like to think they would think I was funny. they go, hey, this guy's pretty funny. You know what I mean? And to me, clean has nothing to do with it. You know, you're know, you either funny or you're not. You know, So I, I, I just like to challenge
0: them. I agree. I don't think I would have noticed without it being mentioned by someone else, you know. So I don't. That, that's what's interesting because you're just into the show, and then when you know, you go, "Oh, that's interesting." There was no dick jokes in that, which is quite rare for a for a male comedian. <laughs> um, and uh, you you say at the beginning of the, uh, the you talk about at the beginning of the, the the recent special how you've yeah. gone grey, and so and obviously this... for the uh, for the previous ones, yeah, the beard's nice. That I, I was surprised by the beard. But that was obviously a decision that uh, you took to to presumably stop dyeing your hair unless you went grey over the last year, which is is possible. No, no. Uh, but um, <laughs> but I don't know. It's uh, you're you're so playful and like you're in your six, early sixties, and it doesn't you don't come across as a man in his Thank early sixties on stage, and I like that about. But I like that about comedy. Are you still you you're you're nodding to it and you're talking about it. But and you you're nodding to the fact that you kind of want to be uh, interesting to young people, but also acknowledging you're old. But do you feel that in a way, being a comedian, it allows you to it allows that childish spirit and that youthful spirit to carry on? And it seems to me that you know on stage you have the bearing of a of a man sort of twenty years younger than you are. I would say twenty or thirty years younger because you know you've got this very playful Ah, uh, character. uh, do, but is that what appeals to? Is that does that appeal to you about comedy? Is that something? Are you are you deliberately playing with that, or is that just something that is is happening? I, I've
1: I've wondered over the years if I would like age myself out of being interesting. You know, when I first started doing comedy, occasionally you'd see somebody who had been around for a while get on stage, and sometimes you think they're they're, they're not as relevant as maybe they used to be. And I always wondered, would that happen to me? Would I get to a point where, you know, I'm not really talking about things that people are interested in anymore? And so, but I I decided not to worry about it. Like, I'm just going to talk about whatever I want to talk about. And and if there's an audience for it, great. And if there's not, so be it. You know, like I've always tried to be careful not to try to figure out what people are looking for from me. I always feel my job is to just tell you what's interesting to me, what's funny to me. If you happen to agree, then I'm lucky. I, I get a career out of it. If if nobody agrees, if nobody out there agrees with me that what I think of is funny, then, uh, then my career is over. But I've been fortunate in that I guess the kind of stuff I think about still people want to laugh at.
0: Yeah, and I think also what it might be is that some comedians, and certainly middle-aged comedians and middle-aged men as well, become bitter and they become you know jealous of younger comedians and they or younger people, and and that permeates through. And that's there's no, I don't think there's any bit. I feel like from what I've uh, heard you talk about and read about you, you're very supportive of comedy and you like comedy and you like other comedians and it's not a competition for you against other comedians but you also seem to not be one of these you know bitter middle-aged yeah, men life <laughs> is good. I know and but that's my you know my, my fear is that I you know I you wake up one morning and you're the guy you know suddenly on twitter you know slagging off some some group of people in a way that the 20-year-old you would go what the hell are you doing? waving waving this old mm-hmm. racist you know homophobic or whatever curmudgeon, and um You know that's this. It seems to happen to people. You think it would never happen to, but you see. Is it just because you're enjoying the job so much? And it's sort of a lucky position, isn't it,
1: to be? Even when I first started, you know, I'd be out on the road, and you know, the hierarchy in the United States is opening act, middle act, headliner, right? So you'd have three comedians on a typical show out on the road. And when I'm new to the road, sometimes I'm the opening act. Sometimes I'm the middle act. Whatever, I'm I'm doing my thing. And it was always a bizarre compliment when people would come up to me after a show and take me aside and go, you should have been the headliner. And I'm like, all you got to do is say, you thought I was funny. You don't, you don't have to (laughs) rank me over somebody else. Like I'm not trying to be funnier than that guy. I'm just trying to be as good as I can be. And so it's always weird to me when people try to rank comedians like, well, this guy's the funniest. This guy's the second funniest. This woman is the third funniest or whatever. You know, it's like, I don't understand why we're on a, <laughs> why we're on this graph. <laughs> yeah. You know, people.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. I suppose, I mean, I think again, maybe it's a bit old fashioned about comedy and that it it was that because it was a lot of men in the old days and maybe it was this sort of, you know, who's the, who's the alpha male out of these guys and who's going to be the best. And yeah, it absolutely doesn't have to be. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big fan of, I started out as a comedy fan and, you know, and feel very lucky to be allowed to work as a comedian. Um, And uh, so I still, I still, you know, I still love watching other people's stuff, Uh, but, but there are, there are, there are people who can't, who don't do that. And people who won't watch other people's stuff or can't bear other comedians. To to tell the other side of the story. Like
1: I, I felt like the story I told was very self-serving where I, I have the mystery fan saying I should be the headliner. There were many times when I was the headliner where I heard people whispering to the other acts that they should have been the headliner. I just want to make sure that both sides of this equation are out uh, there. <laughs> <laughs> and it's weird either way. Oh, I, mean,
0: <laughs> I found this quite interesting. You obviously left college um, to become a comedian. Right. You didn't graduate back in uh, the early 80s. But you did graduate in 1997. So did you go and have to finish off some work in order to graduate? Or is is that, have I got that right? So I read something you graduated. No, that is all correct. I I, I dropped
1: out of college. Yeah. I I thought I was 13 credit hours shy. And then I went to my 15-year college reunion, even though I hadn't graduated. So I didn't know, are they going to allow me into this place? And one of the professors who knew me from when I should have graduated, said, you're so close, why don't you get your degree? And I said, well, I can't come back to college. I'm a comedian. I work around the country. He goes, no, we'll figure something out. You know, you can just probably write some papers and finish up your final 10 credit hours. I thought it was 13 credit hours. (laughs) That's how bad I was at school. I couldn't even add up correctly how many credit hours I was short. So I said, all right, if I can do that, that'd be great. So I went to the college. I met with professors. We came up with a plan for me to finish my final 10 credit hours by writing papers and all this sort of thing. And um, I got all A's. And I had never, I'd never <laughs> seen an A when I was in college. I'm a grown man. And I get my report card. I got, I got all A's. So they let me graduate. And uh, I actually went to the college to do the walk with the robes. I flew my mom and dad up, and you know I'm twice as old as everybody that's actually graduating when they're supposed to be graduating. And it was quite a. It was a good feeling for me, just a sense of closure, you know, to go. Hey.
0: What What did you study? What were you studying? Well, when I first
1: went to college, it was economics. I thought I was going to be an accountant. I switched majors. uh, Right. I think my sophomore year to communication theater arts. So it was acting and giving speeches. I mean, that was the world that got me into stand-up comedy. And then the year after that, the year after Uh, I grad, I think it was a year after, maybe two years after my college as a courtesy gave me an honorary doctorate. They made me a doctor and it made me mad going, well, why did you make me do the 10 credit hours? (laughs) <laughs> I'm going to leapfrog over all this other nonsense. Why did you make me learn stuff?
0: <laughs> I haven't graduated. I've passed all my exams, uh, so I'm a graduand is what I'm called because I never went to pick up the degree and I didn't do the ceremony and all that. I didn't do all that stuff. Um, I kind of, I didn't have any. Res- I kind of got a decent degree in the end, but I didn't do any work, and so I think partly I. It's, this sounds like a humble brag. <laughs> but I've only felt I sort of didn't respect the degree because I thought, how the hell did I pass, let alone get a half decent degree? So uh, there was a part of me that was reluctant to go back. I think my mum and dad would have um would have liked it. You know, they're still
1: alive. I could still you should do I could it. go back. You should do the walk. Maybe they would should let you just, slip in you know to man. whatever the next graduation ceremony is and do the walk with the robes. Oh, yeah. It feels good. Get your picture taken.
0: Okay. Yeah. I'll do it for my mom and dad. I was planning on waiting till like my eldest child had graduated from the same university, but my oldest child is six at the moment. I'm not really convinced I'm going <laughs> to. And you
1: follow, you follow, <laughs> gonna- you follow <laughs> him, you know, he, he gets his, and then you get yours. That'd be great.
0: <laughs> yeah. It'd be nice, but I don't, don't think there's time to do that. Um Hey, look, we've been, we've, we've nearly done an hour. So thank you very much for, uh, for your time. I'll just, uh, have a look and see this. I mean, there was so much I was going to talk. I liked your bit about Michael Collins, the third guy in Thank the you. Apollo Thank 11 you. mission. Um, but I also thought when I was watching it, you know, there's a film called Michael Collins. It must've been really annoying for Michael Collins when he went to the cinema to see that and found out it wasn't about him. It's about the Irish <laughs> revolution. So he doesn't he didn't even get the tip of the hat. It would be a good film. Michael Collins about the guy, that should be a film, Michael Collins waiting for Buzz and Neil to come back from the moon. I mean, you've done it as a sketch, but I think you could stretch that out into a a motion picture and call it it Michael Collins too (laughs) to make us people make sure I mean, you have to have a certain
1: kind of um, I don't know, sense of self. That had to be so, for people who don't know the way it worked, three astronauts, went to the moon and then two get in the lunar module and go down to the moon while while one circles and waits for them to make their name in history. And then they come back and reconnect to the guy who's been circling the whole time. And that was Mike Collins. Um, And, you know, you just wonder, was that cool for him? You know, I mean, I don't think it, it's terrible for him. It's ter-
0: exactly because most people would. It's, I only know it because I'm a nerd, and I, you know, and I know it because he's, he's got the same right. name as the other guy. And I like so I like facts like that. But the idea that you could be, you know, the top, th- you know, nearly the first man on the moon, but certainly the man who got the two men to the moon, and yeah, yeah, that's that's nah, you didn't get all the way. You right. went three quarters, right, of the right, way right, and right, you, right, and yeah, just flew around <laughs> in It's, you know. Is is I don't know if he's still alive. I know Nick, Neil Buzz is still alive, isn't he? I think Michael Collins mm. has died as well. I think I'm not sure. Um, have you been vaccinated yet against COVID nineteen? Uh, I don't know. If COVID, COVID,
1: in, uh, last week. COVID. Yeah. Um, I actually got it. Not not the vaccine. I got the the, the COVID. Yeah, uh, I I, I caught it in right. December and uh, you know had a little bit of a rough go of it. It's not fun. And I have not no. been vaccinated. I'm still within that window where you probably can't get it. You know, I, I think they say you're four or five months, you're safe. Um, but I would like to get the vaccination. I'm happy that. Is that what that sticker is? I yeah, got... that's
0: a, that's the sticker I got for, for it's like, like it give you me a sticker voted. at the end, like you're the, I wanted a lollipop, but they gave me a sticker. Yeah. So I have not been um, vaccinated, no. And in. Are you still doing gigs, yes. live gigs in America? Because I, I know it's not. Yeah, yeah you are. But they're, they're not yeah. as,
1: you know, plentiful as they used to be. You know, uh, I, theaters aren't as open as they used to be because everybody's compact together with the seats. Comedy clubs are open. Not all of them, but a lot of them are. But with uh, half capacity, maybe even less than that, you know, you go in, the tables are all fall, uh, far apart. and uh, But I needed to do that to prep for the special. Which we shot in October, so I had to do. Yeah. I had to perform for a few months prior to that. So yeah, I'm out there, and I'm still out there, and I, I love it.
0: Yeah, It's crazy. I can't believe you know because we I haven't done I've done a couple of gigs in theaters with hardly anyone or with half an, uh, half an audience. Um, but yeah, it feels like so, I mean it's a year since I did one of these live, uh, and uh, with Michael Palin from Monty yeah. Python, that was a good one. Uh, but it's unbelievable. It's, you know, I'm so looking forward to getting back out there. But it's sort of weird the way different countries are treating it so differently. And what what is it like? I know you live in Las Vegas. I find it very hard to imagine living in Las Vegas. But is that just because I have the tourist image of the middle bit and you live somewhere <laughs> nice that isn't got, got loads it of options? You know what's funny about Las Vegas? Around?
1: There's one street that all the casinos are on. And for anybody yeah. who's never been to Las Vegas, that's. All they know about Las Vegas is that one street and there's a lot of stuff to the East of it. And there's a lot of stuff to the West of it, but nobody knows anything about that. And that's where I live. I live out there and uh, it's a, it's a great city. You know, we just, uh, had a, got a new hockey team three years ago, the golden Knights. They went to the Stanley cup in their very first season. I'm a season ticket holder. We just had the, uh, the raiders moved to las vegas so now we have two professional sports teams so the city itself is kind of really growing and blossoming and uh, i've lived here for 18 years and i love it
0: cool and do you do comedy in las vegas i heard you don't really you don't, you don't play do you play the casinos and stuff or are you, are you keeping las vegas to, to yeah my my kids
1: so. are here they're getting older uh my son just turned 22 in fact my daughter is uh, 17 wow. And I never wanted to really perform where I lived because I just wanted to separate those two worlds. When I'm here, I just want to be a daddy. And, uh, you know, most people want a short commute. Most people want to live across the street from where they work. I want to get on an airplane and fly 2,000 miles away from my house to do my job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine having having nearly just only worked in the UK. I have done a few gigs around the world, but. I can't imagine that sort of level of, you know, it's a pain in the ass drive into <laughs> Middlesbrough from here, but the idea of flying <laughs> two to a gig is, uh, is crazy. But um, hey, look, uh, I'm going to let you go. Uh, you've been a uh, fantastic guest. It is real, a you. real honour to meet you. And I know uh, I know that uh, in America you're very much seen as the comedian's comedian, and rightly so. Uh, if people haven't seen Brian's work, uh, there's lots of it on Netflix. Uh, the sketch show's great. The specials are great. Uh, and uh, Amazon Prime for Loudermilk, which is really phenomenal stuff as well. Um, anything else you want to, is there anything else coming up that you want to plug or is that? That's,
1: that's, that's kind of it. it. I'm I'm it. really happy about the Loudermilk yeah. thing. Uh, it was not being shown in the United States for like a year and a half. The network that it had been on went away. And so it was like this show that was just in limbo. And uh, I, we shot the third season like a year and a half ago. And I'm like, Am I gonna do uh, ten episodes that no one will ever see? Like it was so bizarre. We just got the news like three days ago that it's gonna be airing here in the United States. So I'm I'm really happy about that, and I love being out there doing the stand up. And that's kind of it.
0: Brilliant. Well, thanks so much for for doing the show, and I uh, hope to see you next time at the Les Square Theater. If we get a chance, right. we'll put you in front of an audience with me as well. If we'd love to see you again Uh, thank you very much thank you you. see you next week we'll be back next week goodbye you have been listening to with me Richard Herring and my guest Brian Regan Thank you to Pest for providing this musical entertainment as I speak right now. Stop, shut up, it's too loud. Uh, I would also like to say that I'm indebted to my producer, director and friend Chris Evans. Not that one or that one or not the editor of the Daily Telegraph or the, the politician ones the one from Wales. it's always him why do you always keep asking the same questions 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 thank you to everyone at ACAST for hosting us thank you to everyone at the British Comedy Guide for their fantastic work and thank you to all the subscribers on Twitch if you're with Amazon Prime you can give us free money on our Twitch channel twitch.tv slash RK Herring this is a sky potato fuzz and gofasterstrike.com production. Head to gofasterstrike.com, You can buy all my downloads, my books, and you can become a monthly badger, get all kinds of benefits. Gofasterstripe.com slash badges. Just put up a very funny video of uh, Jeremy Paxson failing to understand technology. It's worth it just for that. All right. See you around. Goodbye.